Let's Talk HR is a place for HR professionals, business owners, and employees to come together and share experiences, talk about what's working and what's not, how we can improve best practices so that companies can better attract, train, and retain all generations of workers. We all know that there has been a huge shift in what people want. Generations are coming together more than ever on what's important. Mental health has been brought to the forefront of everyone's mind. Let's humanize these conversations. Let's talk about how the economy has been impacted and what needs to happen to find a balance. I'm your host, Leanne Lovely. So let's get this conversation started. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, follow us, like us, and share us. I am honored to introduce my guest today. I had probably one of the most authentic conversations I had when I first met Roger. Let me introduce Roger Walkoff. Roger is a motivational speaker who helps you create teams and companies people don't want to leave. You hire him for your for his expertise in emotional intelligence and appreciation. He doesn't give up on people. He believes they will find a way to move forward and improve. How does he do this? Roger's programs are high content and motivational in style and tone. He delivers stories, ideas, and keys to unlock what's already inside you. Roger has over 20 years of expert interpersonal communication and team building experience. Audience rave about his two most popular keynotes, how to thrive in times of uncertainty and create companies people don't want to leave. Roger's core messages center around trust, communication, and emotional intelligence. He helps leaders and high-performing teams communicate with clarity, conviction, and positive intent. He is an advocate of Clifton Strength Finder, VIA Character Strengths, and everything surrounding positivity. Roger lives in Madison, Wisconsin. He currently serves as president of the National Speaker Association, Wisconsin Chapter. He loves to travel, bike, and read science fiction. He is a big fan of baseball, pinball, and all things Tesla. Welcome, Roger. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and your background? Oh, thanks for asking. You bet. Well, as I like to introduce myself as a, to, to others, I'm a recovering project manager. I <laughs> uh, kind of backed in. Yeah, I backed into the career many, many years ago, and uh, I've been out of it for about six years. So uh, I'm originally from uh, New York, and I've been in the Midwest, been in Madison, Wisconsin now about 30 years. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in corporate. And the one thing I learned uh, is that human behavior basically fascinates me. And uh, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but uh, emotional intelligence fa uh, fascinates me too, because I believe that that's kind of at the root of how uh, it, it speaks to how we understand and react and respond in relationships. Uh, so that's another piece. Uh, and lastly, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a geek. <laughs> I'm a bit of a geek at heart. Yeah. Uh, I love sci-fi, particularly time travel or alternate history, parallel universe stuff. So uh, I, I, I tend to binge watch a fair amount of Netflix <laughs> stuff or Amazon stuff. Uh, and I'm a big, uh, big reader in that area. Yeah. And I think I, I, I might have put it on my bio. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge Tesla electric car fan. Uh, you did not know that about me. I don't own one yet. Um, but I'm just fascinated with the technology and, uh, I'm going to get me one of one of them someday. 
You know, it's it's so fun. I, I remember reading a story. Oh, my God. It wasn't that long ago of a CEO that owned uh, a company. Um, and during the pandemic, I believe he stopped taking a salary um, or cut his salary like massive. And didn't his employees end up buying him with with their extra a Tesla or something? Was it, Did you ever hear? I, I heard something like that. I didn't know if it was a, you know, one of those urban legend things. I didn't research it, but I wouldn't be surprised. No, I actually, I saw a picture of it and it's, believe. A, yes, all the employees standing out in the parking lot and he had cool. like dreamed of, of God, I wish I could, I, now I have to go and research that because I'm, I'm pretty sure um, that it, that's what it was. He had dreamed of owning one one day and he had been like saving to buy one and um, yeah. He def- he stopped taking a salary, drawing a salary, so that he could keep his his company open, and all of the employees then pitched in and and eventually were able to to buy him his dream car. That's that's, that's awesome. But that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. The, you know there are amazing things happening these days with um, what one company owners, business owners, you know, people are doing for other people. Um, it's just. True. It's so amazing, but another yeah. thing that you said that I just love—you're that you're a kind of a geek. I I think that we all are, in some way, a geek in our own way, and the things that we dig into. And um, I'm I'm self-proclaimed HR geek, uh, human yep. relations geek. I I just love talking about relationships and how we can do better with so many different aspects on on the people front of things and. Some people say, you know, Leanne, the things you talk about not, aren't necessarily HR, but if you think of the word, it's it's human resource. It's it's a resource right. for humans. I think in a way, aren't we all kind of a resource for other humans? We are. We are. And, and, I, and I like your definition of it. And uh, I'm sure you and I have both run into people where that's not the case. Yes. Uh, and uh, so perhaps uh, I know our paths intersected so that we can uh, just help more people uh, on our paths, one person at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, you know, I run into some amazing people all the time. It's, again, why I'm such a geek. I love to talk about this stuff. <laughs> now, you have an amazing background, but for the last nearly, what, six years, you've been a professional motiva- motivational speaker. Tell me, you know, how did you find your way down that path? Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for saying that. How, how, did I, how did I find my way down here? It's a great question. So one of the things I enjoyed about my job as a project manager was uh, I, it was my job to help remove barriers uh, for people so that they could complete their tasks on the projects that I led. And what I learned along the way was one of the best ways to do that was that, you know, I, I we needed to build relationships and trust. That's how this worked, right? So very early on in the, in the project, I'd have you know, anywhere from you know uh, five to ten people, and I and I took fifteen minutes with each person, and we'd go on a little fifteen minute, twenty minute coffee walk, and I'd I'd say honestly, I you know if you and I were walking, Leanne, I'd say Leanne, tell me a story. And most of the time you'd look at me like I'd lost my mind. <laughs> and I said, no, tell me a story. Tell me, tell me something about Leanne. What's on your mind right now? What, what's going on with you? What, 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 tell me about Leanne. Uh, you could tell me something about your family. You could tell me something about, uh, per, you know, something personal. You could tell me something about work, but whatever was going on with you at that moment, right? That, that was in your mind. We could talk about it. And these, these chats were always in confidence. 
And we got to, so there would be a reveal on their part and a reveal on my part, and we got to know each other a little better. So what I also learned was that helped me facilitate meetings better. You know, this, this gift of learning how to talk with people. So I'm not going to roll the dice anymore. I'm not going to go figure out where to be a project manager and do work that I don't enjoy as much uh, and go figure out what I want to do. And, and motivational speaking training came to mind because that's when I was happiest, when I was training and in front of people and delivering messages and helping people uh, see the light bulb go on. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's what I enjoy about the, uh, the motivational speaking, the training part, that not everyone in the audience is going to have a light bulb go on over their head. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I figured 20% of the people are there because they want to be there. Uh, 20% are there because they either have to be or they don't want to be there. And the remaining 60%, if I did my math right, are there because uh, they, they do, they're open to being influenced one, or one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I love that you start off with tell me a story. People are so much more comfortable if they're presented or if it's presented that way versus you know tell me about yourself or tell me you know I I I say it to my daughter all the time tell me a story and she says it back mommy tell me a story and and it's 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 really cute because one it opens up the creative mind totally and when people when people are are um when you take away that fear when you um, kind of break down those those barriers, all of a sudden, it's much easier to have open and honest conversations. Isn't it though? And, and I found by leading, also leading with something uh, that, that if you open and be a little vulnerable, uh, the other person is going to follow without even thinking about it, right? They're, they're subconsciously gonna, going to think, oh, okay, wow, now I feel like it's safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see how safe I can be by revealing something. I may tell you that I enjoy uh, watching movies, going out for sushi and skiing. Well, <laughs> maybe that's just a small way of us, you know, oh, wait a minute. Oh, I like to go out to eat too. Really? Oh, do you? What kind of food do you like? Right. You know, so right there, we're often running to a conversation that we might not have had, had I not opened up a little bit about some of my likes. Right. Absolutely. You know, um, I used to be picked on, um, way back in the day and I, I completely understand but people would say, you know, you're you're very quick to tell vulnerable things about yourself. You're very quick to um, be open about the fact that you have bipolar disorder. Now, not in business. This was in, in my personal relationships. Right. And somebody once said to me, you know, maybe you should keep that to yourself. And I thought, well, you know, if you're uncomfortable with it, you, do, you don't have to you don't have to be around me. Right. But when it came to my personal life, that's that's all, the way I've always been. Now, years ago, it was not in my professional life. That was not something I was ever going to talk about. But what I realized was that the more open I was, the more genuine the relationships that I had in my life were. And it was only until recently that I realized that I could have true, genuine relationships in my professional life as well by being open about that. Obviously, not just blurting it out all the time but being you're right there is there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable people need to have a little bit of vulnerability people want to buy from somebody that they are able to be vulnerable with and you you understand people so much better when you can when you connect and have that so I would love to hear a little bit more about you know your philosophies on 
you know, the, the coaching aspect and the, or yeah, the, the coaching aspect or the, the, the speaking aspect, you know, how did you really start to hone in on your sweet spot and what really resonated with people? Great question. Uh, I learned the, the, the short answer is I learned by listening. So kind of funny, right? Speaking, <laughs> speaking is about listening. And uh, so I, I sought a lot of information. Some of it came from the gut. And then I realized I, I needed to listen to what people wanted to hear. Uh, and so when I talk about motivational speaking, a lot of my programs are, um, uh, they're, they're extremely interactive. You know, it's not just me standing up front 45 minutes for, or an hour of, of, of me. Uh, and so what I'm, what I'm getting at here is it became, it soon became a mutually beneficial journey. And by that, I mean that I get as much as I give. So when I'm giving uh, and making space for people to give on their part, oh my gosh, it enriches the conversation so much. I remember very early on thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to have all this content and I got to be the expert. Well, how am I going to be the expert, right? All this talk going on in my head. And what I realized was I, I quickly got into my groove of listening. And so with my style of talking, conversation, humor, planting humor, uh, and not at the expense of others, but using situations to, to help people feel, using humor and to, to help people feel more comfortable in situations, that's, that, that quickly evolved into my philosophy of talking about emotional intelligence, because emotional intelligence isn't a problem that people wake up thinking, oh, I have a problem in emotional intelligence. Where do I go? We, we think about emotional intelligence like problems a fair amount, like we ruminate on how we communicate with somebody, we ruminate on uh, how did I say that? Did I come across a certain way? Uh, gee, I wish I could have taken that back, right? These are all things, social aspects, right? Social awareness aspects of emotional intelligence that, that kind of keep us up at night. And so that's where I, I, I really uh, attach to emotional intelligence and assessments like the DISC assessment for how we communicate. Um, that is how I developed and continue to develop my my particularly uh, my particular philosophy. That's great, and you know, it's it's funny. Um, we now our generation, the generation that exists in the workplace right now, we're we're learning about emotional intelligence, which you would think that, gee, isn't that something that should be taught as children? Um, shouldn't mm -hmm. we start teaching this? So uh, right, you, you smile and you kind of laugh and you're yeah. like, well, is, shouldn't it have been? I mean, shouldn't this be something that as we're raising our children, we, we explain to them that if you're mad, that's okay. But here's how you right. deal with being mad. Here's how to properly. But for so long, and, and not so much in, in you know, my growing up, my, my parents were great at you know, kind of help. It's gotten better each generation. Now you, you, you hear parents regularly, you know, I'm at the playground or I'm at somewhere and I hear parents saying, you know, to their kids, it's okay to be mad, but you, you're not allowed to, you know, hit. And this is right. how we can, we can, you know, use your anger constructively. And you're, you're actually hearing, you know, adults having those conversations with their four-year-olds or their, th you know, three and, and five and six-year-olds now. And this is the basics to, you know, the, I mean, the very basics to emotional intelligence. And by the time that generation is in the workforce, they're, they're going to go emotional intelligence. What do you, I mean, they're going to have this complete, 
Right. It's going to be a complete and total different understanding of of emotional intelligence that it's going to have to be a completely different book on, you know, more of like emotional intelligence in the professional world versus just general emotional intelligence. But our society is, is and again, we're always learning new things. Our, we're always evolving as humans and people. But you would think that we would have gotten this already, but we're, we haven't. And it's just, it's just interesting that, you know, we're finally having those, yes, being happy is good. You know, being sad is, is okay. Being angry is okay, but you're not allowed to go and scream at somebody else because you're angry. It's not there. And I love the, you had a post um, on, on LinkedIn that just really grabbed my attention. And that's where this kind of was going. You said emotions are not problems to be solved. It yeah. just it really grabbed my attention because they're not. They aren't, and I'm glad I'm glad you enjoy that one. That's how that's one of the first quotes I, I kick off uh, the the program with, and it it gets people thinking. So it, that one speaks volumes to me too. So I'm glad it resonated mm-hmm. with you. Uh, and I got to tell you, the whole quote is this: emotions are not problems to be solved. They are signals to be interpreted. And that's not my quote. It comes from Veronica uh, Tugaleva. Uh, she's the one who I, I, we attribute that to. And she's a poet, spoken word artist. Uh, it resonates with me because I personally am highly sensitive to people's feelings. I grew up uh, in, uh, in a space where emotions uh, were uh, not talked about. There were, there were uh, negative connotations to emotions. We just weren't allowed to express emotions. And so that was an extreme struggle for me as a, as a kid because I'm a highly emotional, sensitive person. And so I learned growing up in that environment, I became highly, highly uh, empathic to, uh, uh, to, other, to the situation in the room, to other people's feelings, to their moods, their uh, all kinds of stuff. So, and that kind of stuff is this, you know, it was their facial expressions. It was the tone they were using. Uh, I was always analyzing, well, wait a minute, that what you're saying is not jiving with your facial expressions, your body language, you know, there's something going on here. So it was a lot of survival mode type of stuff uh, that I had to deal with. And so when I saw that emotions uh, are signals to be interpreted. I'm like, uh, yeah, they are. <laughs> that's how that's how we do that. Uh, and I believe many of us, all of us, many of us uh, are programmed to respond to cues, whether we know it or not. Everyone has something in them that they respond somehow. Uh, and I think it's fascinating, particularly what we choose to do with that information we interpret and that information we receive, right? We're gonna respond, we're gonna react first, right? There's always reacting, you know, uh, you say something that makes me angry, I can choose to uh, swear or uh, use some body language to tell you that I'm angry. Uh, But uh, it's a different thing to process what you say and then respond appropriately uh, or, or appropriate to the situation or appropriate to us. So yeah, emotions at times, we tend to think they are problems to be solved, but they aren't. Right. Right. And for so long, um, you know, and, and again, as a child, I, for so long, my emotions were something that somebody always was trying to solve for me. Um, you know, being somebody who was, 
obviously I, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in my 20s, but I struggled with, you know, other things as a child. So it was constantly, you know, oh, you're, you're sad. How do we make you happy? How do we, let, let's, let's figure this out. You know, what is, you know, and it got to the point where it was just hide the emotions because sometimes even showing those emotions, it, it, it gave the attention that I didn't want. So then it becomes, you know, just bury them deep and down and let's just pretend that you're not or you know just again I'm going down a path I I, I don't didn't necessarily want to go down but there are there's so many things that you know emotions that that we learned as a kid that weren't necessarily or aren't necessarily the the right course to the way that we should and we have learned now to through emotional intelligence through and when did that book come i mean that book came out like what has it been 10 5 has it been 10 15 oh, it, it's been a while i i remember right. being introduced to it you know maybe 15 almost 20 years ago okay. you know you've got daniel but, goleman and yep. uh, travis bradbury and gene graves who i take a lot of work from yeah you know it's been around and, and 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 what i loved about what you said earlier is that you know we understand it now and in the future i'm hoping we can slice and dice it and get more uh fine-tuned with it you know we have the opportunity to do that the more people embrace uh, embrace it and practice it and uh do research on it yeah and now that you say that i do remember the first time that i read that was a very long time ago um and it's um but it hit really mainstream probably within the last 10 like about, about eight yeah so it was yeah. a long time ago that because I remember somebody giving it to me saying you should read this. And I'm like, oh, I already read that. But a long time ago. But it's it's so interesting that, you know, how people think that you that you have one control over your emotions. Oh, well, you shouldn't feel that way about this. Well, how do I have I, I you know, that's that's something that's going on in my brain chemistry. Right. That's, it's a it's you know, an inherent reaction that doesn't, that we don't physically have control over. It's, it's a chemical reaction that's happening within my body and I'm going to feel the way that I'm going to feel. I'm going to have a reaction that I'm going to have. Now, maybe if I had a more understanding of a situation that's, that's going on, I may have a different reaction, but what's happening is not your place to solve it. It's just try to understand it. And I think more people need to have that desire to understand other people and really most things come down to trying to just be empathetic and understanding to other people it, it goes back to the saying of hey walk a mile in somebody else's shoes i guarantee right you're, you're i guarantee that you're going to come back and you're going to have a different you know outlook on the situation so you know, I, I'm interested to to know. Um, you've been you've been at this now for, like I said, nearly six years. So obviously, things have changed within the last two. And I can't believe that you know, my gosh, the the pandemic hit. Well, I can't remember what nineteen, two thousand nineteen, right? Yeah, yeah, twenty, two thousand twenty. It was 20, yeah. Okay. Fe uh, February, right. End of February, March, 2020. Right. We're in, we're in 2022 now, aren't we? Yep. Two My years God. worth. I know. So I can't believe it's been that long. It's, it's insane to think that it's, that this has been, been part of our lives for that long. But so obviously the, the world looks very different today over the last two years than it did when you originally started doing what you were doing. So what has changed? I mean, ha has has your job been impacted 
a great deal in in the things that you address and the things that you talk about when you go and and do do what you do. Yeah, it, it it changed dramatically, obviously, from being on a stage to being behind a camera, and that was fine. Uh, right. That that I, I quickly turned. Uh, but in terms of what my job is, it the pandemic and everything surrounding the pandemic really, in my opinion, accentuated people's emotions uh, all across the spectrum, uh, and and we're seeing the effects of that. We see reports of that coming out, and some of the things that I that I started to do early on. I told you I do interactive, a lot of interactive work. And one of the questions that I ask in all of my programs uh, was, uh, what emotions are you feeling right now? And I ask people to put three emotions in, just three words, what are you feeling right now? And the, the three that, came, that, that continue to come up the most often are uh, tired, anxious, and exhausted. You know, and, and I was like, wow, tired and exhausted. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so those are, those really go to the top and words like them go to the top. Sprinkled throughout there are messages or are words like hope, curious, uh, uh, excited, things like that. So it depends on where people are feeling. So the way that my job has changed, it, it, it's turned the dial up on paying attention to how people want to be seen and heard. If you want my opinion, glad you asked, on <laughs> what I think uh, the great resignation is about, right? That's what I think has happened now with companies uh, and how it's changed my job. Uh, people are looking for answers, and it, some of the answers have been the same all along. People want to be seen and heard. And if they're not being seen and heard, then they are leaving and starting their own company, starting other work, doing something else that gives them joy or jumping ship and going to a company that is going to listen to them. So for me, what, it, what, it, what, it's, what it's done, um, it's, it, the way it's impacted my job is, is it means that I too am listening more to other people. And I've had to pay attention to my own particular uh, burnout, my anxiety, uh, keep my eyes out for you know, how I'm dealing with uh, my needs of being seen and heard. And for me, that shows up like I used to do a lot of in-person networking. Uh, not sure if it comes through, but I'm an extrovert. And um, so I really, I enjoy being around people. I, I enjoy thinking around people. So what it meant for me was I had to change the way that I get my energy and, uh, and pay attention to safety at the same time. So the way that it's changed is uh, I'm having different conversations with companies and I'm continuing to do what I did very early on in my career, which was listen more intently to what, uh, to what they need. And I suppose that it, it's from somebody who is very much an empath, you're used to being in the room with somebody who's reading the energy of, of individuals, reading right. the energy of people. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, did that have to change. <laughs> I remember the first uh, big Zoom presentation I was doing, and um, I found myself missing that, right? You know, normally I would, I would uh, be in the room, I'd be greeting people, I'd be talking to people, what brought you here? What do you love about the, the city where you are? What do you love about the company? I mean, I'd be engaging people in conversation, in, in conversation and, and for me, I mean, it was also like filling me with energy. I'm, you know, like you can see me kind of moving over here. I'm like ready to go on screen. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to find new ways to do that. And so that meant I, I now interact with people early when I come on a, a virtual presentation. Uh, I engage them in the chat. 
uh, or I come up with an exercise that gets everybody engaged so I can tell through words and perhaps body language uh, and facial, uh, facial language uh, what kind of group or crowd I have and make some interpretations that way. And uh, I experimented with that early on. And so far, I've been uh, on par with and, and doing well with, with that. But uh, yeah, it was quite an adjustment. Yeah, I can imagine. And and I'm very much like you. I get um, great energy from being around other people. I try to, you know, try to step into a crowd or I, I gravitate towards the energy in the room. Um, you know, the people who are laughing, the people who are, you know, excitable in the room, I have a tendency to gravitate towards those people versus the quiet people who are sitting at a table, you know, and I'm talking about like mm-hmm. you know, the networking, networking group. I, you're not going to find me sitting quietly at a table waiting for an event to start. And you're going to be, you're going to see me, you know, flit, flitting around the room, talking to everybody and, you know, being the person that's, you know, being told three times, Hey, the program's going to start, go sit down. And I'm going, yes, yeah, I, I know. I know. I just got to get this one last word in, um, you know, it should be no wonder I run a podcast. I I'm forcing people to sit down with me and talk with me. <laughs> <laughs> I but, love it. You know, it's I love it. right. There are people who get their energy from that. And then there's the opposite where that exhausts them. And by the end right. of an event, they are running out the door, completely ready to go home, isolate, and and just they need a break. And they I, do need a break. right? And hey, my husband is that way. After you know being around a ton of people, he's like, I can't, I I can't, I just I just need a beat. I need to go relax, go play my video game. And I'm like, okay, I don't get it. Like, I, I have no understanding of it. I understand, like, that you need that. I'll give that to you. But it doesn't make sense in my head. I, I don't right. understand why. I'm like, well, I'm totally, like, revved up and ready to go. Let's do it again right now. And he's just exactly. like, you're psycho. I had, no, I get it. I, I had, And I learned early on there were some people who coached me that in, in a group, uh, like in an interactive session, uh, call out the people who are quiet. And that seemed to not go, that, that went against my grain. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped doing it. And I looked for, I would look people in the eyes. And if they engaged, they engaged. But if they didn't, then that meant to me they, they were not comfortable and not ready to be called on. And so uh, I was rewarded with that, with, with feedback is what I'm saying by reward. After, uh, uh, after one of my programs uh, in September, uh, everybody was coming back from lunch and uh, a group, uh, three women stopped me. And they said, oh, we enjoyed the presentation. I said, thank you. And they said, I want to thank you so much for, uh, you know, noticing that we did not want to engage. We've been in, in uh, sessions just like this and presenters will always call on us because they think we're a challenge and they want, you know, it's, it's about them. And, you know, they just want to, they just want to make us talk. And we want to say thank you because this is one of the first times that that's never happened. And I thought, wow, wow. Um, it, it it validated what I thought about, you know, being able to read an audience and, and sense perhaps correctly or incorrectly, but mostly correctly, that there are times and places for uh, putting, asking people to step outside their comfort zone. Right. So uh, it, it's another learning. Uh, and I won't do, you know, I, I won't do that. Uh, I won't call out people in chat either if they're not responding on Zoom either. You know, if, right. if you're going to participate, you're going to participate. Uh, so just another awareness as we talk about that, you know, and respecting 
where they come from. Right. There are certain people who like to be pushed. And then there are, there are um, a great deal of people who don't want to be pushed. They want to come, absorb the information, and walk away. And you clearly have figured out a way to, to understand who those people are. And that's, that's a gift. That is definitely a gift. Because then there's me. I'm just a spouse. I'll walk up to anybody and just be like, hey, I'm in your face. Talk to me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. When they don't respond, I do let them go off. You know, I let them off the hook and walk away. And they're, oh, they're just right. like, you're crazy. Anyways. Okay. So we're coming to time. So I'm going to ask you the question of the season. If you could pinpoint a time period in your career that made a huge difference in your in your life or your career path, when would that be and why? Do you want me to repeat that? Because I said that. I got already. you. Okay. I got you. I followed the thread. I followed okay. the thread. Yeah. What a great question for the season. Uh, I applaud that. Uh, for me, I got to tell you, it was when I took a uh, an assessment. It was called uh, Managing Personal Growth. This was while I was in uh, corporate. So I took Managing Personal Growth about 10 to 15 years ago. And uh, it was, a, it was a, a, an assessment, an instrument that my manager and I took. Uh, and the course was about identifying my values and the skills required to do the work that I was doing as a project manager. And I... I, my answer is honestly as I could. So I love the part about values. It's where I found out about, you know, I value freedom. I, enjoy, I value pleasure. I you know, enjoy experiences. That was a great part. The fun part was when uh, the, 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 the magic behind the scenes crossed the skills with what my manager said my job should be and uh, what I answered. <laughs> there was only a 5% overlap. <laughs> and I was like, huh, <laughs> this ought to be a fun conversation. Oh, wow. Yeah, and thank goodness I had a very kind manager, uh, Brenda. She, I, I, she, she said, "I'm not surprised," and uh, I thought, "Wow, that's great." So we immediately we had a very kind conversation. So the aha moment for me, the big difference was I was doing work that was not fulfilling me, and it was a pivotal moment because it set me on a path to say, "Well, what kind of work do you enjoy?" It stopped me from saying I should be doing X. I should be making X amount of money. I should, 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 right? You know, we know about what happens when you should on yourself. So uh, I, I thought, okay, she said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to get up in front of people and train. I want to, I want to, I want to see light bulbs go off. I'm, you know, I want them, I want them to feel like, you know, uh, that, that they make a difference, right? How do I go about doing that? I was just very broad with it. And she said, well, let's get you on a path to do that. And we started and um, it took me it, it took me another uh, three, four years before I finally listened uh, to the advice there. I was I was my own personal barrier. But but that time taking that assessment, finding my values and realizing that there were some good things that I that I could do as a project manager. I mean, I, I was a good project manager. I just didn't enjoy doing some of the stuff. Uh, so I took what I enjoyed out of it, like I said earlier, facilitating, being able to work a room, uh, being able to identify barriers, work with people. And that's when I started on my journey to figure out how to make a career out of it and start my own business. That's amazing. Now, you said she wasn't surprised. Right. How surprised were you? I, You know, it's interesting. That's a great question, Leanne. Uh, I... I don't think I made room for surprise. I was so fearful at the time that I was going to get fired, um, that I was going to get found out, 
that uh, I, you know, that somebody was going to realize that I really didn't enjoy this kind of work and that I, so how surprised was I? Um, if I look back on it, I would have to say I was uh, not very, <laughs> you know, looking back on it when it, I, when it started listing out the things that, you know, I need that were highly valued in the, in the work and how much I enjoyed compared to how much I enjoyed them. That was not a surprise. So honestly, I can tell you right now, it wasn't that much of a surprise. Right. You deep down, you knew that you did not enjoy the work. It was a job that you went to do and you did it well and go to job show up do work get paid repeat you know and there wasn't in my opinion any room for joy or or dreaming about what it is i really wanted to do and uh yeah uh, lesson learned right now how many people do you think are out there that that's what they do they yeah just go to work punch ticket get paid, come back, do it again. Mm-hmm. I, I don't Boy, gosh. Uh, I don't know. I'd say based on what, based on what I read, I'd say anywhere, I, this is a rough guess, 60 to 80% of people are not doing work that they enjoy. And I think that has to do with how engaged they feel in the work. Now being engaged, I think that's a two way street. It's up to the employee and the employer, but based on the the data, I'd say it's somewhere around that. That, that people are, are, are not doing work that they were either meant to do or that they enjoy doing. Right. And, and I don't think that it's, it's that hard of a fix because people can go and people can go and do a job. I could, I could, if I needed to provide for my family, I could go and do right whatever every day. And I could enjoy it if the company found a way to make me feel truly valued. Now, what happened when you got your results to that was that your manager didn't say, well, how dare you not enjoy this? She said, how can we build on this? How right. can we how can we offer something more that you will enjoy? And eventually, you know, you, you left them, but you, you found more fulfillment in trying new things and trying to get a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So you did stay for what another three years right another three four years yeah right so it sometimes it's not about the work so much because there are individuals out there who they don't mind the work they're not not necessarily fulfilled by the work they may not have skills to do anything else but if their company were to offer them an awesome environment Offer them a, hey, you're doing a really great job. We're having a company picnic this weekend. Bring your family. We'd love to see you there. We really want, and truly engage in their employees. I guarantee that that employee would be at least, at least 25 to 30% happier at that employment. And just that little, I mean, and that's just the, the beginning now, if every other employee at that company had a better attitude and enjoyed going to that job because their employer also, you know, treated them well, I guarantee that number would go from a 22 to 30 up to a 40% because all of a sudden now you have employees engaging with other employees. Now they're not right. standing around the water cooler talking about how sh- shitty their employer is. They're talking exactly. about, hey, did you see the game? Hey, did you... And you have camaraderie happening. 
Totally. I mean, totally. And I just, and yes, you know, I say, oh, it's not that hard of a fix. We're talking about overhauling the culture of every company in the world. Well, or in the United (laughs) States at least. But it happens when a company decides we need to make a change. That's the first step, right? It is. And nothing's, nothing ever happens, ever happens if you don't make a decision to make it happen. I guess it starts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to start somewhere. And there are so many coaches. There are so many companies out there that are popping up saying, Hey, we want to help you with that. We can make your company better. We can offer this. Hey, come listen to my podcast. I'm trying to help you. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then I can maybe put you in contact with somebody who can be a motivational speaker for you and talk to you. Right. That's the way this all works. And that's what I was saying. We're, we're, you and I are doing great work at helping people one person, one group at a time. Right. And uh, that's the value that I love about being on a podcast like yours that, that is doing such good work. So right. thank you for keeping the message going. And uh, thank you for, for having me on. Thank you so much, Roger. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time today. And, and again, we are doing great work and you know, you, you just have an amazing background and, and you know, maybe one of these days I'll have the opportunity to, I don't know, hear you speak. Maybe, maybe I get out there. All right. Well, <laughs> again, happen. thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Leanne. If you are interested in reaching out to Roger Walkoff, you can reach him at his website on www.rogerwalkoff.com or reach out to him on LinkedIn. You can also reach out to him at his email address, roger at rogerwalkoff.com. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.